Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata. And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. Tonight, we're at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room in the Irish Channel. The Tap Room is NOLA Brewing's newly expanded, extra awesome on-site watering hole. They serve NOLA's regular lineup of craft beer as well as eight specialty brews you can't get anywhere else. The Tap Room is open seven days a week, weekdays from seven, from, I'm sorry, from two to 11 p.m. and weekends from 11 in the morning to 11.30 at night. We are so glad you could join us. Each week on Midnight Menu Plus One, Margot and I invite a member of New Orleans restaurant and food community to have a beer with us, and we invite them to bring along their own guest, a plus one. We never know who the plus one's gonna be. Sometimes it's a friend, a neighbor, a family member, fellow restaurant colleague, just about anybody. Well, our special guest on Midnight Menu Plus One tonight is Mr. Bob Arsenault of Orleans Coffee Exchange. Well, I'm really looking forward to meeting Bob, and but before we do that, I thought we'd briefly catch up on this week's culinary adventures. Margo, you eat anything worth reporting? Um, I finally went to Shia. Oh, yeah? Yes. You like it, was, it? I loved it. The uh, tartare was unbelievable. Oh, wow. And the foie gras. Oh, wow. Delicious. Matzo ball soup with nice. duck. Nice. Never had matzo ball soup with duck in it before, and it was fantastic. I don't know that anybody else in the world makes matzo ball soup with duck except for them, right? <laughs> I mean, that's got to be original to them, right? Must be. Never heard of know. it. Wow, that's amazing. So what about you? Uh, I went to a bunch of new places. I, I thought I'd just highlight a couple uh, noteworthy. Uh, Cafe Luna is one of my favorite coffee shops. It's a little casual place in uh, Nashville, a magazine that I'm at a lot. But they, they started offering breakfast from Friday to Monday, and... You know, for a coffee shop, you know, it's it's probably not going to be very ambitious, but but they they are they they were doing uh they did did this Vietnamese like egg sandwich that was kind of cool, and um, what makes it Vietnamese? It's I can't <laughs> pronounce it. If I pronounce it, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound stupid. But it's it's uh, you know it's it's the uh, the bread and the uh, and the and the ingredients. It's a uh, Okay. It's a, it's a like mat- pickled vegetables on it's, it and it's on, a, it's on a, a banh mi? Yeah, it's like a, exactly. Uh, I mean it's, a, it's a banh mi that they put it on, basically. It's basically a traditional egg sandwich, but it's banh mi, and it's got a little bit of pickled something on it. Okay. So, yeah, it's great. And then uh, I had a regular egg sandwich, too, where my wife did, and that was great. But then also we went to Haiku, which is in that cursed spot. No longer cursed, hopefully, but, uh, you know, the spot where there's been just a cycle of um, Middle Eastern restaurants next to sort of New York pizza near Napoleon magazine. Haiku, and it's a Japanese restaurant? Japanese restaurant. And so it's, it's, uh, it, it's I, I heard that it's done by some of the people that were involved with rock and sake. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But it was, uh, I, I didn't have any particular expectations going into it. And I thought it was really good. Uh, the, the specialty rolls were, were just great. Uh, everybody seemed to like the Crouching Tiger the best. But we had a whole bunch of different ones. And it was just a great time, real friendly folks, and uh, it was a blast. We're definitely going back a bunch. And, um, yeah, so that was my, those are my food adventures this week. Also, my, my book came out this week, too, that Carrie Confidential about the Rolling Elvi. Oh, so, congratulations. Um, yeah, so that, was, so that took me away from the eating scene a little bit because I had a, I had a bunch of things I had to do with that. But, um, yeah, anyway, well, enough of that kind of, you know, chit-chat. I'm, I'm dying to hear uh, from Bob and get to know him. Welcome. We're really glad you're here. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for joining us. So, um, Bob, I would like you to um, tell us a little bit about what you do currently in, um, and about your, the business that you are co-owner of, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, jump in. Yes, just jump in. <laughs> yeah, tell our listeners that don't know what Orleans Coffee Exchange is. Tell tell them what it is. We are a specialty coffee roasting company. We've been in business for thirty years. I like to say we're the biggest little coffee company you've never heard of, <laughs> and we're trying to change that. And uh, we've got a roasting facility out in Kenner, as I like to say, Kennebra. And um, we like to have people come out and give them the nickel tour and see our place. So many people have never seen a coffee roaster or coffee sacks, green unroasted coffee. And uh, we s- roast and sell coffee to coffee houses all throughout the city, uh, including uh, our friend Greg over at... Uh, Greg Cafe- Hill over at Luna. At yeah. Luna. I was there Saturday morning, <laughs> by the way. He just started that menu you just mentioned this past weekend. That's sort of right. a beta test he's, uh, he's going through. And... Um, coffee houses grocery stores some restaurants also we've been the flagship coffee for the windsor court hotel for like 15 years wow no sorry when you say green coffee will you explain to us what that means that term yep that's that's unroasted coffee so i'll make a i'll go through this process just really quickly coffee's grown on a coffee tree say in columbia it it goes from green the they go from, from a flower bud to a green berry to a yellow berry. Most of them are turned into a red berry. Some are ripe at yellow, but most are ripe at red. People go through the farms and they pick just the ripe red cherry, and the coffee's picked, and they'll typically go through what we'll call a, a wet process, a wash process, separate the coffee cherry from the, the, from the, the seed. There's two seeds in there, typically, and... And it'll go through some further processing. I'll skip all that at this point. And it's green. It's a little green seed. And they'll go through an incredible amount of sorting so that when you have a sack of coffee, say from Columbia, it's Columbia Supremo, all the beans are the same color, the same size, are real clean. Coffee's a little, little smaller, been sorted out. The coffee's really defects, whatever. They're, they've all been sorted out. So this beautiful bag of green unroasted coffee. And that's what we start with. And... So do you um, actually get to travel around and, and search for green coffee? I do. I've been really, really blessed with the opportunity to do that. I've been to uh, Colombia twice, El Salvador twice, Costa Rica, uh, Guatemala twice. I've even gotten to go to Dubai for some coffee education. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so it's really fun to, I mean, I've never been to Indonesia or Africa, uh, not yet, but um it's very common for people in my position, a green coffee buyer, to travel to what we call source. I travel to source, meet with coffee farmers. Of course, we call them producers, so we meet with producers, taste the coffees there uh, at source, and um, maybe make a buying decision right there. So, so Bob, uh, are you supplying mostly to Orleans customers? Or are you supplying? Uh, are you the, when you roast the coffee? Are those beans, roasted beans, now going around the country, or are they? mostly staying local most of our roasting production stays local for coffee houses and restaurants grocery stores here um, but we do have a website orleanscoffee.com we were very um, I would say we were one of the pioneers in, in coffee retail websites we're probably on our fourth version of a website so we got into that game very early we've got we've got mail order customers just everywhere I mean even out of the country uh, sometimes there originally was a, an Orleans Coffee Exchange in the French Quarter, and uh, there were like 6,000 names on a mailing list, you know, all pre-internet, and a lot of that converted over to people buying, 
on the on our website instead of mail order but we still have some little ladies who mail in a check with a little order form they we've had customers have been with us like 20 years so um, so coffee shops are using your your uh, your, your beans and then um, if we go into a grocery store and get your beans, does it have the Orleans uh, Coffee Exchange label on it then in the can, or is it going under other brands and they're using your beans? Uh, both. We uh, we also have another name brand uh, called New Orleans Coffee Works. So if you go into one particular grocery store that has two locations, you'll find Orleans Coffee Exchange Coffee brand coffee, and you'll find New Orleans Coffee Works. Um, right after Katrina, um, the previous owner of our company bought out our competitor across town, and they were called New Orleans Coffee Works. Oh, okay. So, so there, look, I'm, I won't go through the Katrina story. You know, I have condensed that to like two minutes from an hour, but I, you know, I won't go into that unless you need me to. But, but I'd like to hear that after this. Yeah, but yeah sure. Let's talk, definitely so, talk about that. So we have two name brands, but we do a lot of, you know, co-branding. You can go into lots of coffee houses around town, and you'll see the name. You know, they've got retail under their shop name. But we roasted and packaged that coffee for them. Okay, so uh, so the the ones that are under your name is there is there are there several different blends or is there or is there uh, one blend? How does that work? I Man, mean, well, okay. we we bring in coffees from all around all around the world. And if I sell a coffee from one country, let's say I'm going to stick with Colombia. Okay, right. so it's a single origin coffee came from one region or one particular farm. And so I'm going to roast that to a medium roast, light nut brown color, and um, the label on the bag is going to say Columbia Supremo Orleans Coffee Exchange. Well, other coffee houses can buy the same coffee, so it's going to say Columbia Supremo. But then I may blend that with some other coffee from Central America, and now I've got breakfast blend, or I may have a French roast blend, or we have numerous espresso blends. So, so if it's not blended, we call it a single origin, single origin medium, single origin dark. But then it could be a medium blend or a dark blend. So there's lots of possibilities. That sounds like it's kind of complicated. How'd you learn this? I mean, uh, <laughs> this it, it, there's a science to it, obviously. You've been doing it for a long time, right? You were into beer before this, but how did, isn't that right? But how'd you get in the coffee and how yeah. you learn all this? I uh, oh that story. Um, I was uh, there was a Martin wine cellar down downtown a long time ago. It was in the basement of the old Sears building. There used to be and may still be a food court down there called Martin's Downstairs Deli. And this other fellow, he came from the original Martin wine cellar on Drone Street. He and I were the second set of managers. I came in from a little wine shop in Homa. He came in from Martin's uh, Uptown Deli. And so he was running the kitchen. I'm running the little wine department, and. There was some really nasty coffee that they were serving there. I won't say the brand. <laughs> and the outgoing manager said, well, you need to go check out this little coffee house uptown. So I went to check this out because I just drank, you know, one brand of coffee pretty much my whole life, you know. And, and that's all I ever drank, you know. And so I tasted this coffee and it's like, I'm saved. It's like, this is phenomenal. This is unbelievable. And I could never go back to what I drank before. So I really got sucked into specialty grade coffee, and it just, it just tasted so much better. And um, so I eventually went to work for that company, that brand company, and that was PJ's. So this is back when PJ's had three locations. Oh, wow. Under the original ownership, the original roasting facility, and I was, I had a, I was a full-time manager at K&B Drugstore. I used to wear a purple vest. 
you know <laughs> i wish i still had that but uh and so oh, that'd be priceless on that, uh, yeah. ebay yeah <laughs> right. so i went a while it's like having napoleon's death mask or something that would be just <laughs> awesome but um anyway i um i moved on to another job and another job and um long trying to make a long story short here i i went to work for pj's part-time while i had my full-time job at KMB. and after a month of that I, I got offered the job to be the production manager so i was there for six years so when I left, we we had opened up another company-owned stores and then like 10 franchises. So our roasting, I mean, that's when I really got introduced to coffee from Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala. So was PJ's Sumatra. roasting its own uh, In PJ's, yep. PJ's has always roasted their own coffee. Uh, they've got a roasting facility over in the Bywater. And I'm friends with the roaster, green coffee buyer over there, Felton Jones, good guy. So that was, did Phyllis Jordan start PJ's? Mm -hmm. that, and um, I never knew that they roasted their own coffee. We've all, we've all, PJ's has always roasted their own coffee. And um, so I, I left there after six years and started, started Covington Coffee Works, downtown Covington, with the original owners. Um, and then I left after about two and a half years, and one of the owners ended up moving the company to Kenner. And took on some business partners to move it here, and we were all doing very, pretty much the same thing as what what we do now. And then uh, Katrina hit. Here's the story, you know. So um, after, well, anyway, after two and a half years of Covington Coffee Works, I went to work for Orleans Coffee Exchange, and um, we moved a few years later to mid uh, to Broadmoor area near the Blue Plate Mayonnaise Building. Yeah. And um, you know they say New Orleans is like a bowl. Well, I think we were at the bottom of the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We took on six feet of water that took at least two weeks to drain out. Wow. And we went in right before the hurricane, you know, that morning, that Saturday morning. We all went in and started sandbagging because we always hit, we would get some flood water all the time. Right. And uh, really all the sandbags did was stop the water from going out so fast. <laughs> when it started to drain, it just took that longer to drain. <laughs> to go through sandbags. So we lost that Rolston facility. But... Our, com our cross-town competitor had no damage, wow. didn't lose anything, didn't lose employees, but um, the previous owner of our company uh, at that time, um, he bought them out, and we moved in October 15th, 2005, we picked up where we left off and brought back some of our, brought some of our old staff back, and we've been through a lot of, you know, through a lot of people, a lot of changes, and rebuilt our customer base, and, and um, doing our best to serve the best coffee we can in town. Wow, that's pretty early, October fifteenth. That was uh, I was yeah. I came back to visit that week, and it was a wreck still. We were um, in the in that little interim. We did uh, have a, a company in Baton Rouge, River Road Coffees, um, took us in. It took uh -huh. me in. I'm, it's you know, in our industry, we're all across the country. Where there's a lot, there's a really strong peer group. So I was able, I, I knew the owner and his son. I was able to call and say, I'm SOL. Um, any chance I can roast some coffee in your facility? So I was, you know, I had to evacuate to Lafayette. So I was driving from Lafayette to Baton Rouge every day for a month to the other side of Baton Rouge. And so I was roasting coffee when, when that company wasn't roasting coffee and I was packing coffee when they weren't. So this went on for a month, and that's really just the hardest month of my life. But wow. we still had customers who weren't affected, and they needed coffee. And so I was 
pull in, you know, 15-hour days back and forth between the two towns. Wow. And um, so, that, again, during that process, the previous owner of our company made a deal with New Orleans Coffee Works, and we moved in. All right. Well, it looks like your plus one is here, and it's probably a good time to introduce him. Tell us why you selected him and who he is. Uh, well, this gentleman sitting uh, to my right is Kurt Nittmeyer. He, um, he is probably the real only Orlinian, true Orlinian in our company. Uh, he, uh, he says that he's the only one in our company who's born and raised and currently living in New Orleans. <laughs> All of us are from somewhere else. Uh, and I'm, from, I'm from down the bayou, as they say. Uh, somebody's from the, the North Shore or River Ridge. So uh, Kurt Nittmeyer... And Kirk's been in the coffee business a long time before he came to work for us. And uh, he was a manager at Cafe on V right around the time of Katrina. He's told some fantastic stories of things went on. I love um, that place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That is a zany place. (laughs) So he and he was managing um, on V at at that zany time. And uh, Kirk's uh, worn many hats uh, with our company over the years. And um, right now he's our our barista trainer, uh, like a customer um, service analyst, helps people figure out what they want to do for their own coffee house, equipment they need, lots of, you know, you need somebody to make a great cappuccino and foam milk properly, and and and, and Kirk is excellent at uh, at doing that. He's a great he's a great trainer, great great educator. All right, well, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Um, I could not hear what uh, place you uh, worked at before you were at Orleans Coffee you say on I was at Cafe on Okay. Tell us uh, a little bit about uh, your experience there. And, uh well, I was uh, actually hired there as kind of a dishwasher utility prep guy. Um, there was a girl behind the bar that I wanted to get to know a little better. Uh, asked her what she was doing behind the machine, told me she was making a cappuccino. I had her make me one. Um, had you had a cappuccino before? I had not. I had drinking specialty coffee a few times, but never really crossed that barrier into the more of the, the fancier drinks. Uh-huh. It was exactly that. They were the fancier drinks. Um, at that point, probably within three or four months, I was kind of shooting towards manager. Um, managed it. She must have been super hot. She, she was. Or uh, you just loved coffee. A little of both, I guess. She have a lot of tattoos. The girls there tend to have a lot of ink these days. She did indeed. Like yeah, yeah, there uh, we go. I knew cool it. haircut, cool boots, the whole yeah. nine yards. That's pretty much all of them there, yeah. Um, was that exotic to you? Or, or you were you a New Orleanian who no, I mean, grew I was, up uptown? And I was raised on the point. So, okay. I mean, the French Quarter at that point is your backyard. I mean, you just have to get home before the ferry shuts down. Yeah. Um, so, no, she wasn't that exotic. But it was interesting enough to talk to her a little bit more. She made me a cappuccino. I was like, wow, this is great. Um, kind of taught me the ones and twos of espresso. And a couple of months after that, I was managing. I did that well before and well after the storm. And then I started working for Bob in 06, uh, June of 06. I love that part of Decatur, that end of Decatur right before Esplanade. That's one of my favorite places to hang out. And Envy is uh, special to me. I went there to meet a voodoo princess once, and she didn't show up. Princess or priestess? You know, she called herself a princess. That, that, made it, that made it even more interesting to me because I had heard of a priestess before. So, but, I, but she didn't show. She stood me up for about two hours. But in the meantime, I met um, Delta Burke's mom who was g- going in there. She looked just like Delta Burke, only a blonde hair, and she carried a, a lap dog. And who and would make that up? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, no, you no. know, like if you're going to make up being somebody's mother. Why would uh, you say Delta Bird? Yeah. Exactly. See, no, I believed her I for believe sure. You. No, I believe you. No, I knew it before she said anything. Cause, uh, she, she, uh, and, then, and then a homeless guy, and then there was a piano guy. I mean, it was the craziest day of my life while I was waiting for this princess and never showed up, but it was better. It was and better. That place is nuts. And for me, it kind of went full circle. I think I bought one of my first 40 ounces of beer when I was 11 or 12 from French Market Grocery. And then I used to work at Anjali down the street. So I've been on that block for a long time. Well, Anjali has a liquor license too, right? They They do now, They sell drinks now too, in addition to the coffee. So it was, yeah, a fun trip. So you're the New Orleanian, but they obviously, um, if you had a bunch of... um, people working there who the, the French Quarter was their backyard it could be a little it could be a, a wild place but it, you don't have any crazy experiences like that at y'all's uh, any uh, not so much <laughs> no, we're just trying to run a business <laughs> trying, trying to make everybody happy so now you said he does training for uh, baristas too is it um, I, now I, I get you, you roast beans and you're selling beans to grocery stores and the, but then why do you why are you training baristas as well is that another service that you do or is that how does that work Kirk could I let you answer that one I always say it's in our interest for you to make the highest quality drinks therefore you oh. sell more therefore you buy more Oh, nice. Okay. Um, I so mean, you, you find a lot of coffee shops need barista training, and are there other places in town that will train them formally? I don't know about a formal training. I'm sure uh, anybody with experience always wants to kind of tell people what they know, um, but it's not a very organized. It's much more the seat of the pants. Somebody just stops in and says, "Hey, this is what you're doing wrong," and nobody really wants to hear that. So we always try to come and talk about how we can improve them. Huh. So here's a little background on, on what Kirk was talking about. Um, our company is a member of an organization called Specialty Coffee Association of America, SEAA. It's you know 25 years old, tens of thousands of people around the world in the, in the organization, obviously stateside, mostly stateside. And we have two subgroups, Roasters Guild and Barista Grill. Now, I've been a Roasters Guild member since its inception. And I've been to all. Of, we have a retreat every summer. And that, Wait, is this a local thing or a national? This thing? is this is a national thing. So we have these retreats at a nice big lodge. And what do you do at the retreats? I, drink a lot of beer. <laughs> but no, <laughs> I was gonna say you drink a lot of coffee. And then you're up we, all night. We drink some coffee. Yeah, yeah. but um, it's a great you know bonding experience. Um, How big lot, is the retreat? Probably 150 attendees now, and huh. it's big. I mean, we've. We, we turn people away every time. Now they're talking about having two retreats a year, but the SEA staff is like maxed out because they have the barista guild has what they call a barista camp, and they have what, two, two a year? Four. Three, four? Mm-hmm. And it just the staff, you know, is just burned out at all their traveling. So you see, we teach people, you know, they're at our event, we teach people how to roast, and, you know, there's a lot of sensory perception um, classes, sensory skills. Lots of education history. So we're teaching a lot of people about roasting at different levels. We have you know, level one, two, three. Um, Barista Guild has three or four levels as well. So you can learn how to, there's basic levels of information you've got to learn to be a barista to operate an espresso machine. Kirk, I'd like Kirk to take a minute and talk about that. But so there's a skill building level of making beautiful latte art. and But you're learning how to operate the machine, how to operate grinder if the if the if the shot's not right, how to, to know that you've got to adjust the grind or whatnot, and to learn about coffee from, so you can talk to the customer about 
the coffee that you're actually brewing. You're, you're, you're having a dialogue while you're fixing, fixing their grinder, pulling them a shot just right so you have a beautiful cappuccino. So this is a skill level that has just Wait, quantum so that, so that association is who's declaring you level one, two, or three? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I can't declare myself level three. Or I, mean, I guess I could, but, like, you know, it, 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 the accreditation is coming from your group. So most, most baristas in town are not accredited with your group, right? Or with anybody probably, right? Prob- probably not. And, tr- uh, you know, Kirk is, is uh, involved in training people. We want to try to get more people from our area. You know, we're still part of that flyover country. Right. You know, you've got the West Coast. That's just so far ahead of us. And, and then here comes New York and Chicago. Right. And, and, and so we're, we're catching up. I and mean, there are some great baristas in town. Don't get me wrong. There's... A lot of people with skins on the wall that can that are really good at it, and uh, and Kirk is part of the the growth right. of, of educating people how to make how to become a great barista, and we want to grow in, in, in training more people to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems to me like I mean our our town clearly I mean I don't know what the stats are, but we clearly have more and at least the parts say below Claiborne to me, we have more coffee shops per capita for population. I mean, I, I have five within five blocks of my house, five independent coffee shops within five blocks, you know? We got so many, and New Orleans has always had, I mean, I've read stats about before the Civil War, there was like 150 coffee shops yeah. in the French Quarter. But Ray, but they weren't drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it was just a coffee cup. Yeah, yeah. But oh, they were <laughs> filling it with booze or yep. whatever. But, 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 but we're probably not on the cutting edge in terms of like the trends in high-end coffee, like the third wave kind of stuff mm-hmm. that people talk about all the time in Seattle and all that. Can you talk about third wave and what that means and... And what that, how that relates to New Orleans? You want me to start and finish? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I, I don't have the exact definition of a third wave, but one of a, one of my closest colleagues coined that phrase, uh, a lady named Trish Rothkamp. What were the first two waves? Well, you know, you're going back to just just regular coffee, just plain plain coffee. There was nothing really special about it. Um, Somebody just get a hammer and bashing some beads or something, pouring water <laughs> exactly. over it. Is that, you know, that was and, first then, wave. and then we had all these coffee houses uh, in the in the seventies and eighties, and you know it's flavored coffee and it's really dark roast coffee. And there wasn't really a lot of skill with brewing coffee um, an espresso machine. I mean, yeah, maybe somebody knew how to make a cappuccino. Maybe nobody really knew what they were doing. But now with the third wave, is you've got emphasis on on you know like you know they say farm to table. Well, we still have our like farm to you know to the final cup, you know seed to cup, and so there's an emphasis on the producer, you know the farmer, you know you know asking asking and helping that producer to produce better coffee. What do they have to do to, to produce better high quality coffee? Um, uh, better far better roasters roasting skills than people did in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and proper use of that that coffee. Pulling a pulling a great shot, making a great cappuccino, mm. and and Kirk can take it from there. Uh, it really is like that. Um, it's really about the coffee. Um, every coffee is going to have subtle changes and subtle differences, and it's about kind of highlighting those attributes. Sometimes trying to mask them if need be. Um, it's basically, in the simplest terms, it's just really about the coffee, mm-hmm. where you know this coffee prefers this brew method and we're not going to do any other brew method because this is the way it's best this is the way we can raise the value of this product um we always kind of joke to say that the only thing we can ever do is make it worse every so often we get a chance to make it better Uh and and you do that through proper science proper ratios just 
taking a different approach to it. So is it about the equipment too that partly that, that's being used in the coffee shops? I mean, uh, certain equipment's markedly better at, at finessing the beans and getting the most out of it than uh, other equipment? or Really, it's the amount of control. Um, usually the nicer the equipment, the more control you have. Um, so you have a more of an opportunity to hit the mark. But on the same page, you have a more opportunity to miss it. So if you're not well trained, you're, you're just getting a 16 year old behind of an F1, you know, Formula race car. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a question. I don't know if this is odd, but um, is coffee kind of? Can it be like wine or beer? And uh, is there uh, etiquette of what what you can eat with it? Or I mean, are there things like that that? elevate coffee or, or take away from the flavors or does that make sense i don't know how to i yeah. mean that's not part well, i mean of certainly different that's a really cultures. good point i mean you, you drink red wine with the wrong meat and everybody like raises an eyebrow at you or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like that with beers too certain beers get paired with certain foods but you never hear about that with coffee i, I do believe that there are there have been many attempts to have coffee and food pairings and and i do believe if you really really put it on the magnifying glass, I can say, yeah, this Ethiopian Nergachev with its unique lemony notes, citrusy, floral, it could work with these various pastries perhaps. You know, some okay. something for dessert that it might I could say it would be the coffee to have within lemon icebox pie. Uh, but I mean Yeah, I I mean But but I, I don't think it's really gained a lot of ground because you know Look, you want a cup of coffee, you want a bagel, you want a muffin, that's what it's going to go with. <laughs> uh, now, how much coffee do you all drink? How much do you drink a day, Kirk? Mm, in the way of drip coffee, probably somewhere below 20 ounces. It's a lot of small cups and small sips of different coffees. Uh, in the way of espresso, uh, three to four espressos a day from varying different shops. Oh, okay. How about you? He's zooming. Oh. He's zooming all the time. He drinks about <laughs> a gallon. Um, I drink far less than I used to. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I've got that cup. You know, I wake up in the morning, and you know, I'm grinding my 60 grams of coffee and putting it in my Technivorm brewer and make a cup of coffee and go shave and shower. And, and I drink that in the morning. And then, uh, But I, I no longer have a cup in the car. I'm not in the travel mug. I don't have to fill that up anymore. But like her... I'm just tasting it all throughout the morning, but I'm at the point that I feel that caffeine in my veins. If I drink coffee too late in the afternoon or really in the evening, I feel it the next morning. That's when I realized I needed to kind of dial it back a little bit. So, Wait, are I'm, you telling our listeners to drink less coffee? What are you doing? No, I'm just telling them that I drink a little bit less coffee. You're supposed to lie to us and tell us, like, yeah, the more I drink, drink. the better I feel. <laughs> I find that up doesn't until affect noon. my sleep at all. Up until yeah. noon. So, yeah, I'm yeah. drinking, I'm drinking, you know. Okay. And now uh, my uh, associate, Jeannie Kennedy, she and I are the green coffee buyers. And so we do something called cupping coffee. And so as often as we can throughout the week, we will either do a quality control cupping or we will, I'll have some samples from an importer that I've roasted, you know, on Monday afternoon. And then Tuesday morning, we're going to set up these cups pour coffee you know measure out coffee into the cups grind it fill it up with hot water scrap you know um we call it you know uh, slurp and spit and so we're we're getting now you know we're 
we're not drinking all this because we'd be buzzing if we were drinking it. <laughs> but we're tasting tasting a lot of coffees. So um, you're like a sommelier. You have like a little mm-hmm. thing. You're spitting it out. Spitting it out. So they wow. do that so they don't get drunk and yeah. we don't swallow. So we don't. We're not just buzzing because when you do, you will just you just get such an intense. It's like just shooting up caffeine in your. <laughs> In your veins, and uh, I so got cut off from a coffee shop once for having ten cups of coffee in one in one, <laughs> one place. They, she wouldn't serve me anymore, but I never felt an effect from it really. I think are there, it, are there, people, well, are there people that are immune to caffeine? Wait till, well, I'm 53. I think I think when I hit 50, I re- realized okay, that that cup of coffee after dinner, I feel it the next morning. That's when I realized I need to dial it back a little bit. But no, I I think I drink a respectable amount of coffee up until about noon. Maybe I'll have a little coffee in the afternoon. So now, have you ever had one of those uh, uh, cuppings where you went, "Oh my gosh, what's wrong with this?" Like something went terribly wrong with it. You spit it out; it was awful. No, and you thank God that you didn't set, ship those off to somebody who lost a customer. Like, mm-hmm. can something go terribly wrong with the roasting? Like a, a, a measuring, yeah. a, some kind of dial breaks, it's, or it, you no. get a bad shipment that's infested with something? Or no, we, we try to take care of that on the front end where we're cupping samples of coffee, and this has happened a lot where we're I'll get samples from importers and I'll I'll roast I'll will roast and cup coffees I have no intention of buying because I want to taste it I just want to know what it is and the people sitting around the table Kirk cups coffee with us and we all have our interpretations of the of the fragrance coffee's ground coffee dry it's free I get the fragrance out of that you fill that cup up with hot water and it's sitting there and you're smelling it that's aroma because fragrance comes off of things that we don't consume like perfume or flower petals but once something once there's water on that coffee, it's it the change smell the smell changes a little bit, and I get maybe something kind of savory. So aroma comes off of things we consume. Gumbo soup has an aroma. Roast yeah. beef has an aroma, and um, so we go through this process of of fragrance, aroma, flavor, body acidity, and and we'll taste coffees that can be just horrific. It can be there's a term called phenolic. It's like this tastes like rubber or it smells like rubber or beef. It's like this coffee's phenolic. It's defective, you know, like. So you're catching that before before too much of that's been roasted. Oh, no, no. Much. Before I've ever even bought it. Oh, okay. I mean, this oh. is this is an importer that's sending me samples, whether oh. I whether I requested them or not. It's like, nope. And they may be trying to be on. They may just try to unload something. Uh, they're just trying to get rid of something. But typically, I'll, if I get something that's supposed to be good, that smells or tastes kind of funny, it's, you know, I let them know. This is them knowing what I like and what I want. So I have that relationship. Like, you're not going to send me samples of something you know is not in the in the category of what I want. Definitely nothing garbagey. And every now and then we'll taste something just for, just for fun mm-hmm. and go, oh, I'm glad I didn't buy that. <laughs> so is there any coffee uh, grown close to us, like in the United States, or no? Is that it? Puerto a, Rico? Okay. Um, yeah. They got that small little mini farm in Santa Barbara, California. Really? Uh, a couple of years back, they realized that this one small section near the ocean of Santa Barbara has a very similar microclimate to other coffee growing regions. So, a couple few years back, they uh, planted some trees and wait and see what happens. Interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, every, every town with tourists in America seems to shoot up a winery whether it's good or not you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean you wonder why that doesn't happen with coffee too you think there'd be some bad coffee being grown somewhere and they'd have a coffee you know any place with a hill or something would have a coffee place but Do i guess that has an altitude thing it's altitude it's, yeah 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 and you know in coffee growing countries colombia guatemala 
coffees at lower altitudes, they don't taste all that well, and they they don't demand or command the price of coffee grown at a high altitude. And there are different levels. There's sort of cutoffs. So it's like high grown and then strictly high grown, and so because the, the coffee doesn't have to struggle to grow at low altitudes, it grows real even, you know, easily. So it's like, eh, it's kind of, and eh, this is cool, this is good. Put on a little fat, kind of flabby, boring. Coffee's just boring. Um, with a, just like the wines, when wine at, at higher altitudes where there's less water, and they have to struggle more. Where the grapes, where, I'm sorry, let me say this right. Where the grapes have to struggle to grow, there, there's, the flavors are more concentrated and command more. I love that. Huh? I'm the, interrupting you. I'm sorry, but that's a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. Like, they have to work at struggle at mm. growing, and that makes the coffee more full bodied and. Higher like altitude. people. <laughs> the more you struggle, <laughs> yeah. the more you, more the coffee struggles, the more those grapes struggle, yeah. the better they're they're likely going to taste if they're handled well. Have, have you guys ever had that coffee that comes out of the elephant's ass? You know, talking about the, the yeah, elephant's yeah, yeah. ass. <laughs> no, it's supposed, no, it's supposed to cat. We had to. No, 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 They've got elephant and bird and no, bat. No, there's, there is the most expensive coffee beans in the world. I think are with these ones that are uh, the elephant will consume them and then they pick them back out of the poo and they roast them. They clean them and they roast. Them. Okay, hold right. up. Yeah. It's super expensive. Okay. There's coffee that comes from an elephant and a cat. A civet cat, like in Indonesia. Like, so, and I think this all started. Remember the movie, what's the movie, The Bucket List? And Jack Nicholson's character drinks this coffee called Kopi Luwak. Okay, and it comes from a civet cat. And, and this is the way you go find, you go through the jungle and you find the poop from the civet cat and you take the beans out of it because it likes eating that cherry. That fruit is good. I've eaten it, it's good. And from the cat from, butt? No, I mean, I'm, I'm getting it off a tree. And I think, and then it's like, oh, somebody, you know, they go, somebody would buy this. So here's the problem is that now that they'll catch these cats, they cage them, they give them a steady diet of, of coffee Aww. beans. So now you, 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 it's like, like, it's like hens, you know, eggs. It's not like free range. <laughs> no, no free, free range. range. <laughs> and so this is like this copy law, and it is really like the most expensive coffee in the world. You give me an idea. I could, I could get, no, we're, no. we're getting a cat. I could feed my cat beans. No, and no this wouldn't work for no, me. No, it would not work. And here's the thing. Like I had somebody just this past week say, hey, Bob, I can get you some civet cat coffee. And I explained like, this is just the most unethical product in the coffee business and it's like in our industry you know most of us have this you know unspoken bond never to buy that coffee don't ever buy it don't ever roast it don't ever like don't promote it Uh, you this is like free the cash so it's like Like, the faux gras of coffee yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's like like Free the civet cats and let them go live their lives because we don't want to buy the this elephants? product from they do you. It to elephants too? Eh, maybe so. And there's some other right, so birds monkeys. and bats. Monkeys too, huh, Kurt? I know they make so. makeup out of bats. What about people? Poop? Could could we swallow the, the red no, beans? I, I, I'm not even going to go there. I don't. Why know, not? So. Who wants that? We who, had who to go to, down. We <laughs> had to just that be lower easier, the though. level of the show. Okay, so let me let me <laughs> nope. segue from that. Who wants to from coffee in crap to crappiest coffee? Who makes the crappiest coffee? I don't think we're allowed to say. Oh, that. you can say. No. What's going to happen? It's I'd your like opinion. to say you're allowed to have an opinion like anybody else. Prison, prison coffee. I would prison say prison coffee. Prison coffee. <laughs> prison coffee <laughs> sucks. Let me let me let me, let me explain <laughs> this. Let me. Ex- are, are the government? Why does it suck worse it's than like the, Folgers? It's what like, the mil- it? <laughs> What's the? It's what the military. That's really bad. Here's the deal. So you go to, you go to any coffee grown farm, you know, in the world, really, and there's the importers who want the best stuff. 
and right. they, they're on there. They're, they come they come and see you on a regular basis. They get first dibs at the best stuff. And then there's the people who want something like, well, I'm not going to pay that, but I want the next level of quality. Well, there's guys. They just, they're just waiting around for the, the end of the year when all the good stuff's been picked out and it's what's left. And it's called triage. And it's just it's broken beans. It's black beans. Everything that got sorted out that's garbage, they're just waiting when, when it's like, okay, we're done with all the good coffee. Let's get rid of the stuff. These guys just want the garbage. So there's a market for everything. So at the end of the year, the farms are just wiped clean, like nothing ever happened, and all somebody bought all the garbage coffee, and, huh. and all of that is going to get it's going to get roasted up for um, for uh, instant coffee. Uh, it'll be roasted <laughs> for uh, coffee flavoring, like you. Like My grandmother used flavor. to drink Sanko when I was a little kid. Uh-huh. That was, that's, that's all that, huh? It's just just junk. So it'll get de- okay. So there you go, roast it. No, no, decaffeinate it, roast it. And then freeze dry it. There's your. There you go. Well, how do you oh. decaffeinate coffee? Do yeah. You chemically, do you pour some chemical over it? What What is? What does that mean? There are a few decaffeination plants around the world. Um, you know, Swiss water process started in Europe. Obviously, there's a, also a Swiss water plant in Vancouver. In our Canadian friends, process. There's a plant in Houston. There's a plant in Mexico. Yeah, what do they do to it? Just imagine a giant, giant washing machine, and you'll just fill up this, the coffee. And typically, it's not really good fresh coffee. It's something we call like pass crop, something that didn't sell. Kind of sat around, nobody bought it for some reason. So it gets old and stale, and and they'll put it in this giant washing machine, and they'll fill it up with warm water, and it just kind of loosens the fiber of the of the coffee beans, and then they can put a trace amount of a few chemicals now Swiss water process doesn't use any chemicals um, so there's some magic in how that the coffee is the caffeine is extracted from that but let's use one for example uh, methylene chloride trace amount of methylene chloride can go in there caffeine will bond with it and then and Train then hmm? I'm sorry yep and it'll, it'll just and then you go through the spin cycle okay so all the water's being drained out, and you go through the spin, it just sucks all the water out of there. It's got to take other things out besides just the caffeine. A lot yeah. of flavor. Flavor? Yeah. So <laughs> if you got a really, really high end, you got the elephant crap beans or whatever, right? You got the best <laughs> beans in the world, and you decaffeinated them for some reason. Would they taste any better than these crap beans you're talking about that get decaffeinated? <laughs> pretty much it's the same at that point, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, why? So why would you use a high quality bean? You'd only use yeah, a crappy bean, right? Exactly. I mean, you're not okay. going to decaffeinate good coffee. You want to try to get the most amount you can for that. Right. But if there's something, I don't know, there's something wrong. If you got ten containers of coffee and they're just not just like awesome, and they sit around for a year or so, they'll get sold to a company that'll decaffeinate them. It'll oh. be fine. But methylene chloride actually is probably like the best tasting uh, chemical processed coffee. Now you'd have to drink about forty gallons a day. For like <laughs> ten years, to have any residual effect of the methylene chloride, you know, and right. um, so, huh. but uh, great tasting. Oh, yeah, oh yes, that's another thing. The decaffeinated coffee not only tastes like crap, but the but the chemicals probably not good for you either. Can't be. Well, no, no, that's what I said. You, you'd have no, no. to drink a lot of you, it. To yeah, it, 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 how do you know that it, though? It all gets yeah. Well, it, it all gets yeah. totally what's the word dissipated at at four hundred degrees. It's roasted yeah. above four hundred degrees. You'd have to drink this forever to have any residual yeah. effect in your right. body. Well, we're running out of time. We have two minutes left. But I got two quick questions for you, and I don't know if Margo has some too. But one is just uh, what are the stats in terms of like how much of the nation's raw coffee is imported through New Orleans? Do you know? Do you know? 
Uh, I don't know, but I know a fair amount. But a lot of what we get is kind of what we're talking about. Uh, okay. I don't want to necessarily it, say it's prison grade, but a, right. a little bit of the lower quality. But then stuff. also there's big roasting plants like New Orleans East mm-hmm. and other places mm-hmm. that roast for the big companies that are making mass producing coffee for the whole country. And a lot of that's done in New Orleans as well, right? That's right. Um, New well, you're Orleans, talking about some more cottage stuff, but I mean, there's also the big stuff too, right? Well, here's the answer to your question. Uh, New York, New York. Houston and New Orleans all vie for like number one importer every year. So they okay. all bring in, they're all in the top three every single year. Okay. So um, we all import about a third of what okay. comes in. And um, yeah, um, we bring in just some commercial grade coffee. Some right. specialty, but a lot of commercial grade. And what's great is that that coffee comes in from Central South America, comes into the port, goes to that Folgers plant you're referring to, yeah. gets roasted, processed, and shipped across the country. So oh. it's a good decision for Folgers to be here. Right, right. So they're roasting other people's coffee too, not just their no, own. Probably. Just, no, just their no, own. Okay. just their own. And then, okay, we only have a few seconds left. So and also uh, chicory. Explain to us about chicory. That's sort of a New Orleans thing. That's it's all like you they about. Think, but. Uh, <laughs> You know the origin of that and why that why that came to be in New Orleans and what you think about that and et cetera et cetera. Are you involved in chicory at all? You have any chicory coffee? You we, do. We have three coffee and chicory blends, and um, chicory. I think people figured out that chicory had lots of good usage over the course of a th- few thousand years. Um, so, but at this point, primarily cultivated in Flanders, France, near the uh, northern France, near the Belgian border. Uh, also, also in South Africa and Nebraska, go corn huskers, mm-hmm. and um, so roasted. I'm sorry, it's you know grown like tomatoes. Uh, I'm sorry, potatoes, yams. Okay, cult- so it's cultivated, clean, sliced, dehydrated, roasted, ground. Looks like coffee. It just looks coffee. And um, when we brew coffee, it has an extraction level. So we extract 18 to 22 percent of soluble solids out of the coffee chicory has a higher soluble rate so you extract more of the chicory when you brew it um, so when people like their coffee and chicory it's like yeah you're getting strong coffee it's got a lot of body it adds body to the coffee uh. but there's no caffeine so your caffeine content is like yeah I'll drink coffee and chicory but it's it's not caffeine you're not getting so it's more bolder caffeine. and less caffeine bingo that's yeah, great and it's a little mm-hmm. cheaper too isn't it a little cheaper a, yeah. it's a good filler but so I it's all, all good so it's not true that they use chicory to ex- then the coffee. I mean, the, it, the, the, you can use it as a filler. Yeah, I mean, but if during the Civil War, is that true that it was mm-hmm. used in the? And I thought it, it it so it wasn't because it was caffeinated. It was just because it to it extend tasted it tasted better than adding dirt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. When coffee got hard to to obtain, you know, shipping lines were cut off. Um, chicory could get through and. And you came down here, and here's, French, here's our French, wherever French culture resides, there's chicory there. So huh. strong French culture here. And uh, so even when coffee became available again, eh, people like their chicory. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, unfortunately, y'all, it looks like we've run out of time. Um, but before we go, would you uh, just share your website um, with our guests and uh, listeners? Orleanscoffee.com. Orleanscoffee.com. Okay, great. All right. Well, our special guests tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One were uh, Bob Arsenault and Kirk Gipmeyer. Nipmeyer. 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 Sorry. Nipmeyer. Of, uh, <laughs> let's, let's record that again. Can we do that again? Our special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One was Bob Arsenault and Kirk 
Arsenault. Arsenault. One more time. What did it say? Arsenault. It's Arsenault. <laughs> See, I did. I tried to spell it phonetically. And it screwed me up. I should have just left it alone with the EUX. Okay. Our special guest. Tonight, we, this never happens. Our special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One was Barb. Bob Arsenault. <laughs> Barb. Now I'm changing your gender. One more time. Our special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One was Barb Arsenault. Uh, <laughs> what did I say? Again. I can't do it. You do it. I can't do it. It's crazy. Our special guests tonight are. <laughs> yes. Why don't y'all do it? <laughs> I'm I'm your special guest tonight. My name is Bob Arsenault, and I was and your plus one, and I'm Kirk Hitmeyer. <laughs> wow, that was that was rough. Uh, you can find out more about both of our guests and much more about uh, about Orleans Coffee Exchange by following links on our website. It's NewOrleans.com. And thank you tonight uh, to our friends at Petite Pet Care for uh, pet care when you're not there. Contact PetitePetCare.com. And the NOLA Brewing Taproom, which is open seven days a week. You can come here anytime, or you can join us back again next week for another Midnight Menu Plus One. Thank, thank you, you all much. so thank, much thank for joining us. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.